Lauren Moran Park. Happy 2022. That kind of rolls off the tongue, kind of right? You know, you may or may not have made a New Year's resolution by now or already broken it. It's already January 2, so we've had a full 24 hours to break that. But I want to say this, that God has made a resolution to you. He's made a resolution, and it, he actually didn't do it in 2022, January 1. He made it before time began, and he said, I am resolved to pursue my people in love, tenaciously, unswervingly, until I have each one of them, and they are with me safely home. That is God's resolution to you this morning, Moran Park, and he does not break his resolutions. Amen. Uh, my name's Chris, and I'm uh, one of the elders here at Moran Park, and this morning is a teaching Sunday, and uh, this month we'll be continuing our rotation of uh, teaching on the first Sunday of the month and celebrating God on the second Sunday of the month in worship and witness, and the third Sunday of the month with the fellowship Sunday, and the fourth Sunday of the month being seeking God in prayer. And so we'll be continuing to do that this uh, this month until the Lord moves us on from that. Um, I will be introducing our teacher this morning in just a moment, but I wanted to introduce uh, Teaching Sunday with a word from 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. It says this, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others as faithful stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Each one of us has a gift, and we are called to use it to serve other members of the body and the community. Um, if that's teaching, teaching. If it's serving, serving. If it's leading, leading. And all of those are means of grace, this text said. All of those are means of grace. God pours out his grace uh, through each of us as we each use our different gifts on behalf of the community. One of those that is mentioned here is teaching, preaching. Uh, we teach or preach not the word of God, not to get information. We do need information. We need to know something about God in order to be able to worship and obey him. But in and through preaching, the scriptures say, we, we encounter the living God. At some point, God's word and the preacher's words merge, and you are hearing and encountering the living God as the word is being preached. So this is not a, this is not a, this is not a lecture where we're gathering information and learning something about God. Proclamation is where we are encountering God's presence. He's revealing himself, his glory uh, to us, wanting to meet with us, speak to us. And as he reveals his glory to us, change us so that we love him, which is the point, and love others, which is the other point. So I'm going to introduce our speaker on that note, our preacher. Simon. Simon, will you come up here? Simon Cunningham. Simon's been with us for three years. His wife, Hannah, has been with us for eight. They have uh, married three years ago. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And that's why Simon became one of us. 
Um, they have one child, Gavin, 10 months old, who apparently had some struggles last evening, and so Simon's running about on about four hours of sleep this morning, so pray for him as he preaches. <laughs> His eyes are queer, though, and he's a happy dad. So I am. Simon's going to bring in the word for us this morning. Um, has some church planting background in there, mm-hmm. and has taught before, um, and it's just been a privilege as I got a couple hours of coffee with him weeks back that really getting to know his story. He has quite a story. Um, if, you'll, if you're willing to buy him a coffee at some point and ask him to share his story, it's been quite a journey for him. And the Lord has, I'd say, would do some pretty, has done some pretty powerful things in your life because of uh, the things that he's brought you through in your journey. Mm-hmm. So, but I'll let you share that at another time as, as, you want, as you want to. Let me pray for you, Simon, and we'll let you have the microphone here. Lord Jesus, we just are, we're desperate for you. We're desperate for you. We want you. At the end of the day, we just long to know you, to know your love. Uh, we long to be conformed into your likeness. We see our undoneness. We see that we're unworthy of your love, and yet you love us, and you continue to pursue us. And so we so grateful, eternally grateful for all that you do and continue to be for us. <clears throat> Lord, I pray now that as Brother Simon comes and sh- opens your word for us, that you will um, meet with us, that you'll ravish us with your glory and encourage us and change us and not leave us the way that we walked in, that we'll be forever transformed because you've met with us this morning. And Lord, none of that lies within Simon. Um, he knows he's a clay pot. <clears throat> and so we know that we have this treasure in clay pots and that we ask that you would be in him now by your spirit with him, uh, empowering him and strengthening him to share the very word of God to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I'm going to steal Grace's situation. And uh, put this up here. Um, <clears throat> today we're going to be talking about a section out of the book of Luke um, 24. Um, but before we do, there's a little bit of a context to this, and I'd like to just overview that for a second. Okay? Think about the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, God makes the world a perfect place. There is mountains and rivers and lakes and streams. God makes uh, the seas and the water, and he fills the water with fish, and he fills the sky with birds, right? Everything's perfect. It's, it's a perfect world. Um, and then he makes people. And even though the world is perfect, people are something even greater than the world because they're made in God's image. And that's the beginning of our, of our Bible. But the beginning of the New Testament is different from this. The beginning of the New Testament is a place of suffering and brokenness. Um, the very first, one of the very first things that happens is this registration for taxation under Rome, this oppressive government. And uh, so there's this tension, there's this confusion. And that is sort of the beginning place of where we're going to read our scripture for, for today. Uh, a place of kind of confusion, what's going on. So I'd like to invite you guys to turn to Luke 24, 13 
We're going to read the story of the road to Emmaus. I'm going to be reading out of the Net Bible. It's a great Bible version, by the way, if you guys are looking to move on from the 70s NIV. Big fan. All right, here we go. Luke 24, 13. Why don't we stand while we have the Bible read today? Let's participate bodily. Okay, here we go. Luke 24, 13. Now, that very day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and debating these things, Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Then he said to them, What are these matters you are discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? He said to them, what things? The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, they replied, a man who with his powerful deeds and words proved to be a prophet before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things have happened. Furthermore, some women of our group amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and said they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some from those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. So he said to them, You foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. So they approached the village where they were going. He acted as if he wanted to go further. But they urged him, stay with us, because it is getting toward evening, and the day is almost done. So he went in to stay with them. When he had taken his place at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. At this point, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Then he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, They found the eleven and those with them gathered together and saying, The Lord has really risen, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. Let's invite God to speak to us today through this text. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this this wonderful piece of scripture. Um, Thank you for this new year. God, be here with us. Uh, dwell with us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in this room right now. 
Let this text be a conduit, God, to connect us to you today, to grow us more into the likeness of your Son. Thank you, God. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, so a little bit of background. At the beginning of the chapter in Luke uh, verse 1, the women come back from the tomb. They're like, you know, the tomb is empty. We saw this angel. Peter goes back to the tomb, and he finds kind of the empty tomb, the linen, and he doesn't really know what's going on. And that's the end of that piece of scripture. And this is one of the things I love about the Bible. It sort of, it doesn't make things clean. It makes things complicated because life is complicated. When Jesus rose from the dead, and uh, when he had died, yet the tomb is empty, they're not making this connection. So there's this confusion point. Wait, he's dead, but the tomb's empty. Where, what's going on, right? So that's sort of the, the, the feeling in the chapter of chapter 24 in the book of Luke. And these disciples are in that same place. Something is right, yet something is wrong. And there's this place of tension. What do they do in that place of tension? And it's, let's remember who these disciples are, okay? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Back in those days, they walked with him. They lived with him. They didn't just, you know, come out for an hour, a day, or whatever. They would go and, sp- and live and follow in the, behind this person. They ate with Jesus. They sl- probably slept in the same room with Jesus. They watched him uh, uh, teach multitudes. They watched miracles happen. And they, something inside of them felt alive, felt on fire. Who is this person? This is different. You know, they, the, the disciples are a Jewish people who have a story deep inside of them that knows that God someday is going to deliver them from the oppression and the struggle and the pain that they're going through. And so they're experiencing this prophet, who they think is this prophet. They're experiencing this Jesus. And it's, it's pulling something inside of them. They're like, what is this? I think this is, this is God at work in the world again. All those years, all those generations of him being gone, it's, it's like, oh, this, this could be it. And then the worst thing happens. They watch Jesus get executed on a crucifix. Why did the Romans use crucifixes? It's because it would hold up the person who had, who had committed some wrongdoing. Sometimes it was murder or whatever, but oftentimes these are political enemies of the Roman government so that you do not put your hope in these things, these people who are lifted up. And that's exactly the effect that that had on many of these disciples. They had followed him, they had trusted him, they had walked with him, and all of a sudden he is hung up in shame, in agony before everybody, and they're just crushed. It's not just a death. It is a public mockery of the people who followed him. And they're broken. They don't know what to do. And so they're on this road. They're on this road to some town called Emmaus. We don't really know what Emmaus is for, by the way, you know. You can read some commentaries. There's like, was there a garrison? Some people were saying, yeah, they might be going off to be like zealots and get knives out or whatever. Uh, But really, we don't know what Emmaus was. Uh, I would like to think they would do, you know, the Occam's razor, like what's the simplest thing, right? I think the simplest thing they were probably doing was going home. When people became followers of Jesus and disciples in this time, they would leave their home and they would go with Christ on the road. They would leave behind 
wherever they came from. He would say, come follow me, and they would. They would leave it. We've left everything for you, right? Don't they say that at various times in the Bible? So they left everything. So what are they doing if Christ dies, and they're broken, and they're sad? They're going back to everything. They're going back to their lives. That's what I, my, my you know, guesses of what they're doing here. But it's, they're not returning in a good way. They're not happy about this. They're sad. They're broken. And this is one of the things I love about the New Testament, is that the opening anthem of this next movement of God into the world is honest about how difficult life becomes. We attach ourselves to various things in this world, and if they are not God, they let us down, and they, 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 they put us into a place of sadness. All of us who are alive today are experiencing this sad world. We have, life is a road of trouble. So let me, uh, I got a little slide show here. There we go. Uh, <clears throat> life is a road of trouble. Um, to be alive and to be in the world means to encounter the same struggle and, and difficulty that these people are struggling in our text today. That's why it, it, our, the Bible matters. It's because it's describing our lives. It's describing reality. Life is a road of trouble. It has all sorts of difficulty. If we can kind of hold that off short time, but eventually it will find us. As Jesus has said, um, you know, the rains, it's not as if the rains will come. The rains will come. The question is, how are we going to respond to that rain? But either way, life has trouble, and it will encounter us. Um, personally, I, I'm gonna, I'd like to share how life, my life has had trouble. Um, in 2012, 2013, I was a pastor. I was a pastor in Seattle, Washington, and um, uh, I, I was planting a church, and I got sick. I got a serious health condition, and my serious health condition was called um, MECFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, and eventually I lost the ability to uh, walk around and have conversations with people, and I was um, in, a, in a bed or on a couch for, uh, well, I, I was sick for 10 years, and I was, for two and a half years of that, I was in a bed or on a couch, and, um, and I couldn't leave my house, and and I could talk with people and everything. And, you know, the worst part about it was, because that, and that's really difficult. If, if any of you in this room today have struggled with health issues, and you know uh, what it's like to um, uh, be struggling underneath some chronic health condition or whatever, it's really hard. It's really rough. But the worst part about it was that when I got sick with CFS, with chronic fatigue syndrome, I lost my ability to feel the Holy Spirit. What's up with that? Right? It's as if our bodies, these, these things that God made us, have a real relationship to our ability to have relationships with others. Okay? If you ever talk to somebody with chronic, with really bad depression, oftentimes it's harder for them to have a prayer life than it is to, with somebody who doesn't have depression. Why is that? It's because you are, God intended from the beginning, that you are a physical you have a physical aspect to who you are, and that physical piece needs help in order for you to have good relationships with others. So let's say uh, uh, today's church was yesterday, and uh, let's say a person, not too many of course, but a person maybe had, you know, let's say three glasses of wine for New Year's or whatever, 
and you're a little slower in the, in the pews today, uh, you would struggle a little bit more with worship than somebody who hadn't done that. We have a physical element to who we are. I was not ready for that as a pastor. It caused me intense, intense doubts and fear. I did not know what was going on because since I was a little kid, and I'm talking five years old, six years old, I had had a sensation that I was loved. I felt God's love walking with me. I could feel the spirit with me. I knew that there was a God, not because of some knowledge or whatever, but because I could, I knew, I could feel him nearby. Something deep, deep down. I felt that there was a God. I felt that he loved me. And then it was taken away from me. I didn't know what was going on. I had no context. And all the theologies, you know, as Chris talked about the failure of, you know, just book knowledge, all the book knowledge I had, it really didn't help. And the relationships I had, they weren't super skilled with this either. My theologies, my relationships failed to be able to reach me in that place of confusion and despair. So in 2013, I did, I, w- I just had to admit to myself, I, I no longer could call myself a Christian. And I began to walk a road away from the faith of my youth. Sound familiar? Okay, let's go back to the text. <clears throat> Something beautiful happens next, okay? Jesus approaches these disciples in the road to Emmaus. This is a big deal. Oftentimes, we, uh, people think, you know, gods are sort of these big, huge, mighty things. The Lord, you know, on his throne, he sort of, sometimes there's this inclination that we have to go to him. We have to make the effort to go to him. He's perfect, and he's big, and he's out there. But that is not the story of Luke 24. The story of Luke 24 is God coming and drawing close to his people first, before we are asked to come to him, he first comes to us. He approaches us. And he does not just approach us in some image, okay, like a, like a ghost or something. Jesus actually comes towards us and joins us in this world. What do I mean by that? His full humanity. Jesus is fully human. God makes himself into an actual human being. Not half human, not a quarter human, right? Um, I have this, uh, my wife and I have this 11-month-old kid, and there's this mix of us in him. On some level, the more the kid is her, the less it's me. And so oftentimes we can think that that's how Jesus was. Oh, we can't make him too human. If we make him too human, he's going to be less God. We don't want that. We don't want that. But that's not how it works. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of Christian theology. Jesus is 100%, 100%. Fully God, fully man. What does it mean to be fully human? Well, here we go. Okay. This is how full, Matthew 1, fully human Jesus was. Mark 11, Jesus is hungry. The God of the universe, hungry. John 4, Jesus is thirsty. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Was he just pretending? No, he had to have actually been thirsty. He's an honest person. He's not just like, you know, appearing to be thirsty. He's actually thirsty. 
Jesus is tired in, Matthew, in Mark 4. He's sleeping in the boat. Not because he's trying to teach these people a lesson. He's actually tired. And he, then he teaches the lesson. <clears throat> Jesus cries. The God of the universe has tears on his face. Jesus dies. Matthew 27. God, Jesus cried out in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. The God of the universe takes on what it means to be Matthew one human. He takes on death. He actually dies. He doesn't pretend to die. He doesn't appear to die. It's not like a fake death that's like for our benefit. He actually, actually physically dies. It's amazing. So he joins them on this road. And what does he do? God comes near and invites us to talk with him. He doesn't come to take a magic wand and hit us over the head and make us go to heaven. His first thing that he wants to do is come up to you and say, hey, talk to me. What are you going through? What's the struggle in your life? This is what's amazing. The first thing, here we are on the road to Emmaus, these two disciples, he knows exactly why they're sad because he's the one who died, right? He's, he is walking, they're walking on this road, they're sad, he knows exactly what to tell, he can just appear to them right away, but that's not his goal. Why doesn't Jesus just magically do the breaking of the bread and there he was appeared and then they go back to Jerusalem then? Why did he wait? Why did he ask them these questions? Because there is power in going in to the brokenness that's in their hearts. He is not just interested in a surface healing of their lives. He wants to go deep inside. So what does that look like? Hey, what's going on? Why are you guys, what are you talking about? Well, don't you know? No, what, what things are you talking about? He asks them multiple questions. The first thing that the God of the universe does when he encounters these broken people on the road is ask them questions. Come talk with me. He can handle your doubts. This is what's, what's so wonderful, is that Jesus on this road is not interested in some sort of half version of, of what's bothering you. God wants your doubts. He wants you to confess your struggles. He wants you to confess the things in your life that are really difficult for you to face. And there's no limit to how bad your situation is for him to listen to that. There's no limit. When I was uh, struggling with this illness, I really, really struggled on whether or not there was a God. I really struggled whether or not God was real. And I would pray to him, are you there? Are you there? Are you a real thing? Is this all fake? Is this all make-believe? This whole Christian thing that I've been doing all my life? Here I am in this broken place. I can't even get out of a bed. And I'm praying to you and I don't feel anything and I don't hear anything. What's going on? God can handle whatever it is you can throw at him. There's no limit to this. He wants, he's inviting you to confess those things, to, 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 to reveal yourself fully. His ability to heal you is dependent on your depth of how much you are going to be transparent with him. If you simply confess gentle sins, anemic kind of flat sins, that's as far as he's going to heal you. Maybe, maybe not. Obviously, he can do whatever he wants. But, like, his ability on some level is dependent on whether or not you will open yourself up to him fully. So that's what they're, try they're doing here. They really open them up. And what does he do? <clears throat> they begin to talk. So Jesus joins them. 
Um, when I was sick, uh, if I laid down for five, six days in a row, <clears throat> I could maybe go get a cup of coffee. And Jesus met me on the road when I was sick in the form of an elder from the childhood church that I grew up in. And when I don't mean elder, I don't mean like, a, like Chris. I mean like an actual elderly person, okay? He was, he was uh, um, his name was Richard. And for some reason, I don't know how this happens, maybe my parents were seeing me broken up, maybe I, I talked to him at church a month or so earlier, but I was just in this bed, in this couch, couldn't move, and Richard said, hey, let's have a cup of coffee at Big Boy. Okay, Big Boy, bad coffee. But that's what we did. We went to Big Boy. I tell you, I when I was sick and I was struggling in my faith in 2013, 14, 15, I talked with a lot of people. I was really, really searching. God, what's going on? What is this thing? What's, I, I've, I've felt you my whole life, and why are you gone? And I talked to all sorts of people, friends and family and theologians. I had one pastor tell me it was God's will in my life that I was like, you know, sick or something like that. I, it was like I had all this advice and stuff coming at me. And in the middle of that, Richard met me, and he met me, and it was the first time in my life that I felt that God came by. He just sat across. I don't even remember what we talked about. That's what's so funny. There's no like specific moment in this interaction with Richard that was like this aha thing. But I sat with Richard in this booth at this diner and I explained my situation to him and he fully heard me. I really opened up. I, I let him know everything and he heard me and he, he said, yeah. And, and he, uh, he said, you know, Simon, I believe God is the big fixer-upper and I believe he's going to Fix, he's going to work on fixing up you. So, you know, you know what was different about Richard? It wasn't what he said, because I had a lot of people saying, oh, God's going to be fine, you're going to be fine, everything's fine. What was different about Richard is he had the capacity to hold the struggle and the doubt that I was going through, and a lot of people could not. A lot of people freak out if you're struggling with atheism. They do not like that, Okay. But Richard had this ability to really hear me. And for the first time, it felt like there was a God in the universe. It was, for the first time, it felt like that God had come to me on life's troubled road. So the disciples, back to Aramaic story, they begin to talk with Jesus. And a fascinating thing begins to happen. So Jesus approaches and he says, hey, what are you talking about? And they have a choice whether or not they can talk with him. They can say, ah, you know, I don't want to engage this stranger who's walking up. But they say, okay, let's, you know, let's say this is Jesus, and let's say this is the two disciples on, life, on Emmaus Road. So he approaches. What are you talking about? Okay, let's talk. This is what we're talking about. Well, have you considered this? So Jesus starts to talk about the Bible to them, starts to reveal the scriptures to them in a perspective that they had not considered. Their perspective was over here, and it was kind of wrong. This, they, they were sad about Christ having died, and he does not devalidate this. He says, yes, it is sad that, that you know, whatever, but they had not considered that suffering was part of the journey of the Messiah. 
They thought it was all supposed to be happiness and success and shine Jesus, shine and clapping. That's what they wanted. That's what they expected. But he's like, no, you don't get it. Suffering is part of the journey. And they had not considered that. And yet, it's, it's like also what Chris said earlier. It's not just the information. When he started speaking those scriptures, what did they start to experience? Ooh, ooh, they start to feel their hearts burn. Something is different about this person. They're encountering, they're having a real encounter with the living God. So he speaks these scriptures, and they're touched. So, and they're walking as they're talking. This is so great. So then... um, they come to their village, and Jesus intends as if he's going to keep going. He's got his own things to do. I don't know, maybe, you know, can Jesus appear to multiple people at the same time after he's risen from the dead? We don't know this stuff. But whatever it is, Jesus, it, it, it looks like he's going somewhere else. He's got others, risen Jesus stuff to do, right? And so, yet they, they invite him. They say, hey, why don't you come with us? So, Jesus draws near. What are you talking about? Oh, this is what we're talking about. Have you considered this? Come dwell with us. Okay. Do you see what's going on here? Let's see there. Nope, not that one. There we go. Any relationship with God is a step-by-step progression. Now, maybe there are, there's somebody in this church today, they just showed up to church, total drunk, And they just, bam, you know, became like this full-fledged mature Christian. But for 99.9% of people, that's just not how it works. It's a progression. It's a a step-by-step process. Um, In 2018, um, after a lot of steps, 2017, I started to become a Christian again. I had that conversation with Rich was the key in the engine that began for me to have conversations with friends and family. I began to read the Bible with my parents. 2017, I said, okay, I'm going to try to do this again. This is really hard. This is not easy, but I'm going to lean into my faith. And in 2018, in this baptism font, which is underneath these steps here, Jared Kimber of this church baptized me for the second time in my life. Okay? This church right here has played a part in my return to my faith. And this is one of the reasons why I volunteered to help out with preaching today is because this community has meant so much to me. Your community is a precious, precious thing to me. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to help out. But you can see that there's this progression. It starts with Rich, and then it was conversations with people, and then it was me tr- leaning into my faith in 17, and then it was this baptism in 18, and I began to experience miracles after that, which is not always happens. I just feel lucky, but it, it, it is, a, is a growth of a, a progression. So what happens with the disciples after that? They return to Jerusalem. They're full of, of, of energy and excitement. They do not spend the night. They get back on the road. They go out there. What's up, what's up with all this energy? What's happening with this? Well, I would like to propose today that the energy that they got from having their hopes reignited is not some sort of momentary thing. God is, in, is delivering them back to a fuller, better humanity that he intended for us from the beginning. Okay? Oftentimes, we think, what does it mean to be human? Oh, that's like broken and bad and sad. It's, what it means to be human is to be kind of, you know, you can bleed and you can die. 
That is not the original definition of what it means to be human. That is a Matthew 1 full humanity that Jesus took on. But the full humanity that God invites for you and I to take on was defined earlier. It's defined in that Genesis chapter 1 and 2 kind of situation. Let's look at what actual humanity was intended to be from the beginning. Humanity is full of health. Genesis 1, it's a humanity returns to health in Christ. Immediately, this woman's hemorrhage stops, right? You know this story. God is about healthy bodies. A restoration of this world is, is your body and mine being perfect. No longer having chronic health conditions, no longer having bleeding, okay? Full health. This is the image and the, the vision that God has for you. A return to community. Matthew 8, the leper, he's invited to show himself to the chief priest. Why? It's because if you, conf- if you show your healed leprous, leprosy to the chief priest, you get to come back into the community of, the, of, of, of this time. So Jesus all the time was about restoring people into community and into health. Acts chapter 1, humanity returns into power with the, with the Holy Spirit. Humanity was intended from the beginning to have power, not to be sort of weak and just kind of gentle, but actually full of energy and power, healing, flowing out of us. If you encountered a human being uh, as we were intended to be, this is not a small affair. They are the image bearers of the Lord. They, are, they have power flowing out of them. Acts, for, Acts chapter 1 is not some sort of new thing. I mean, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is kind of new, but the point is that the, the power that the Holy Spirit gave us is a restoration of the power that God intended for humanity to have all the way from the beginning. John 17, humanity returns to glory. What's Jesus' prayer? I've given them glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. God intended for you and humanity to be a gloried institution. Okay? Think again of Genesis 1. God makes the the mountains and the lakes, and he makes the birds, and he makes the fish, and he makes the animals, and he makes the stars in the sky. He makes all these things, and they're very good. So imagine, yet, yet humanity itself is very good. It is exceedingly good. So imagine the most beautiful sunset you can imagine, okay? You were intended to be more beautiful than that sunset. Imagine the most gloried bird of the air, you know, some sort of eagle taking off from a craggy mountaintop, okay, or whatever. You were meant to have more majesty than that eagle, okay? Think of the most beautiful things in the whole world, in all of creation, like stars in the sky, the horsehead nebula or something, okay? Think of the intricacy of our, of our DNA and our bodies. The glory and the beauty and the health that you see in the creation, humanity was meant to have exceptionally more than that. My favorite example of this comes from this, the author C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has this book called Paralandra, okay? In Paralandra, there's a human being that uh, God, God creates another world and it, called Paralandra, and in this new world that God creates, there's an Adam and an Eve, similar to Earth. And similar to Earth, the devil goes to try to tempt this Adam and Eve to fall into sin. But something different happens. In Paralandra, C.S. Lewis's space fi- uh, uh, science fiction trilogy, um, humanity doesn't fall into sin. So there's this moment in the book which perfectly captures this dream that God has for your life, this restoration, the full humanity of Genesis 1, 
okay, where this man from earth called Ransom encounters this unfallen Adam and Eve. And I'd like to share it with you today. Uh, so imagine, this is a man from earth, Ransom, and this is the first he's, he's encountering a real unfallen Adam and Eve. What does this look like? <clears throat> oh, there we go. When we ask God in our hearts, we discover our full humanity, like I was saying. <clears throat> okay. The couple before him could never be taken for more than an image. The very beauty of them lay in the certainty that they were a copy, like and not the same. An echo, a rhyme, an exquisite reverberation of the uncreated music, but prolonged in a created medium. Yet here was God's live image, like him within and without, made by his own bare hands out of the depths of divine artistry. His masterpiece of self-portraiture coming forth from his workshop to delight all worlds, walked and spoke before Ransom's eyes. There was great silence on the mountaintop, and Ransom had fallen down before the human pair. When at last he raised his eyes from the four blessed feet, he found himself involuntarily speaking, though his voice was broken and his eyes dim. Do not move away. Do not raise me up, he said. I have never before seen a man or a woman. I have lived all my life among shadows and broken images. Oh, my father and my mother, my lord and my lady, do not move. Do not answer me yet. My own father and mother I've never seen. Take me as your son. We have been alone in my world for a great time. Can you see the image that C.S. Lewis is creating of what humanity was supposed to be? They're so amazing because unlike just a beautiful sunset and a wonderful mountain, you were intended to be an image bearer of the God of the universe. You were intended to be the person when they encounter you, they actually see a corner of the image of who God is. So I'd like to finish with this, okay? Let's see if we can, you can take this off the screen here. There's two applications for, for the road to Emmaus. The first one is this. Are you on a road of trouble? Are you on, in a place where you feel that God, th that you feel confused? That you're like, wait, I, I don't understand what's going on. I was, I, I thought I had something. I thought I understood life. And then this curveball happened. Something bad happened to me. Something let me down some tragedy, some trauma. In the midst of that, God is always drawing near to us. He's always coming close to us, and he wants to say, hey, what's going on? Talk to me. Tell me what you're feeling. God is inviting you to share your doubts and struggles with him, and he wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to have a back and forth where you share and then he shares. He wants to bring you into a vision. He wants, first of all, for you to have a vision for your life that is one of health and connection and love and beauty and splendor. Imagine yourself as a perfect person. This is the image that God has for you. The way we get there is through Christ. Through inviting him into our homes. Through this broken bread, 
through the experience of who he is. So if you're on life's road, life is tough, you're on that journey, listen for that voice. Listen for his invitation. Be open to this image of full humanity that God is inviting you to have. But I'm sure there's a lot of people here who are walking with Jesus. And if you are, then the message of Emmaus is that you might take on a Matthew 1 humanity yourself. Okay? There are a lot of people out there today, a lot of people outside these doors of Moran Park who are still struggling, who are still hurting. They are confused. They don't know what's going on. One of the silver linings of me not having been a Christian for three years is that I got to interact firsthand with a lot of non-Christians. I got to really understand what that world is like. And it is not great, okay? There's a lot of chaos, a lot of bouncing from here to there, not really understanding what is the purpose of life, what am I meant for, where am I going? They are looking for a savior. They're looking for hope. So what does it mean to be Matthew 1 human? It means to incarnate yourself into their broken world, to go out, to find them in life's troubled road, and to show them a, a, a version of humanity that they've never seen before, okay? They have never encountered, many of them have never encountered the, the community and the forgiveness and the quality that you guys have as a result of your Christian faith. They've never seen this before. So for many of them, this will be the very first time that they may have encountered like a real, a real Genesis 1 human being. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much today for our time. Um, Lord, I would ask that you would uh, um, speak to us and draw us close to you. If there are people here today who are in places of confusion, Lord, I ask that you would open their eyes and help them to, to, to see you as you approach them on life's troubled road. God, for the rest of us who are walking with you, help us to know that there's a world out there that is struggling, that is suffering, that we can take on um, the person of Christ, to join up with people on life's troubled road. God, help us to uh, go out to the broken places where people are struggling. Help us to find them. And help us to show them Jesus. Help us to show them you. And potentially return them back into relationship, God. Thank you so much for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.